electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and James McDonald. These guys are so good. We only need three tonight. Tonight on Fast. Disney shares surging nearly 14% today to an all-time high. So tonight, we want to answer the simple question. Should you buy into this magical move? We're going to lay it all out for you. First, the news that sent the stock up, up, and away. Then a technical take on today's beastly move. We kick it off with the news. Disney telling investors it expects between 230 and 260 million Disney Plus subscribers within the next three years. That is on top of the nearly 87 million Disney Plus subscribers it currently has. By comparison, Netflix has just over 195 million subs worldwide. So those are the fundamentals. Let's get to the technicals now. Carter Worth is with us. Chartmaster, you heard that music. So we ask you, after today's record run, is it time for investors to let it go? Sure. So, you know, before we look at the charts, it's really all about who you are in the market and what your time frame is. There have been plenty of instances where Disney has gapped up like this, today up 13.5%. Its Q1 beat in 2019 was about a 12% move. On vaccine day, November 9th, we know it jumped about 12. But what we do know is after big jumps like that, it's pretty uh, sideways uh, fallow on, on a week-over-week basis. But let's look at some charts. The first is the breakout. It's, it's a conventional kind of thing. Everyone agrees, is well recognized that a stock that moves above a well-defined range with a gap, and you can see it there, is the definition of a breakout. Now, second chart, look where the stock stopped. It stopped to the penny at the internal trend line, in effect, for the past year and a half. I mean, literally stopped on that line. In fact, it peaked essentially around 11 o'clock and it spent the rest of the day going sideways. So it was aggressively re-rated, but didn't really progress. Now, two more charts. Where are we in relation to the 150-day moving average? You could use the 200, you could use the 50, but if you were to look at this chart, Disney is trading some 39% above its 150-day. Now, take a look at the next chart. This is going back for the past 10 plus years, and you can see here again the relationship of price with average price over 150 days. So, in the history of the stock, going back to the 1970s, it is only traded farther above the 150 million average one other time. And in principle, that gets the time frames. Long term, this is hugely bullish. Tactically, I think you fade the move, you take profits. All right, so Carter says let it go. <laughs> we'll see in a bit, Carter, on options action. So you got the fundamental story, you got the technical take from the chart master. How would you trade Disney here? Brian Kelly, what do you say? So I think I'm with Carter on this one. I really like his take on this because if you think about it, this is a long-term fundamental play here. Because not only are they going to have more movie streaming online, but what we know about Disney is that they have tremendous leverage in their platform, right? So they can go to the parks. The parks are going to reopen. Their cruise ships are going to reopen. They're going to be able to take what they do on Disney Plus and bring it to all of those places. But that does take a bit of time, and you've priced in this surprise here. 
And so where it's trading now, and remember, this stock was 78 and a half or so back in April, March and April. So it has had a tremendous run this year. It is priced in an awful lot of good news. And so for me, I think you get a better entry on this. It doesn't mean that I don't like Disney. In fact, I think it's going to be one of the better ones coming out of the pandemic. But I think you get a better entry. I would wait either for today's gap to be filled or for the low of today to serve as your support and then wait for that breakout again. So you like it long term, but you think that there could be a pullback shorter term. James McDonald, I think part of the betting here is yeah. that is that this is a premium product that people will pay for. In fact, they, they announced a price hike of a dollar in the United States, up 29% in Europe. And a bet on the management team, uh, CEO Bob Chapek may be new to the role. He's not new to Disney, and he's still got executive chairman Bob Iger around uh, in terms of this execution, which is a dramatic change in how the business is structured and how the business considers and executes content. Well, Bob Iger remembers the old days when you had a lot of customers and you had a big brand and you had a lot of action. And there was a firm back then called AOL uh, that got everybody's attention and the stock ran up on potential. And we saw where that happened. And I love Carter's technical analysis and BK's always spot on with his fundamental outlook. But my grandmother told me, use common sense. You know, right now the P.E. ratio is at 87. Uh, there's more forward looking upside for this than Netflix, which masters this game. Uh, Netflix announced similar subscriber growth from the boom from COVID and look what happened. That subgrowth then cooled off for the next three months and this COVID level growth rate is not feasible uh, for the long term with Disney. Netflix shows that more content equals more subscribers and that's a good thing, but we're shifting attention away from the other weaknesses with this company. This is not a tech company. Uh, the media only makes up 40% of the total revenue. Parks and products make up 23%. And they're gonna take massive hits here with the new lockdowns over the holiday seasons. Let's use our common sense. International segments, 23.5% of the total revenue. It's gonna be suffering and there's no Fed overseas to save them. So let's use our common sense and stay away from Disney here up at 175 bucks. No way, no way, no way. We can't worry about the long term. We've gotta survive this recession that's coming. No to Disney. I would never argue with James McDonald's grandmother or anybody else's grandmother for that matters. But Steve Grasso, we got to put a footnote here or an asterisk next to James's commentary, and that is he is an even bigger bear than Brian Kelly ever was with a full on bear suit <laughs> zipped up to the very top. So uh, you got to take that true. advice in terms of staying away from Disney with a grain of salt. Where do you stand, bud, or Steve? So first of all, we got to give kudos to Dan Loeb. He spotted this, or, or at least he was the one that really shined a light on Disney back in October, saying that they should cut back on their $3 billion investment in dividend and put it towards content, put it towards streaming. So Disney was the king of content. Now uh, the question is, as you posed it, are they gonna be the king of streaming? I agree with Carter. I agree with the other gentlemen. This stock, if you go for just on a basic retracement level, Melissa, this stock could come back into the 50% retracement from this near-term move, and that's $148. If you bought it today, you're going to be disappointed. But this is a bunch of things rolled up into one. This is my three-day rule. Never buy it on an outsized move like this. Wait for it to hold for three days, number one. Number two, when you look at, I, I, to James's point, I think they're actually going to expand that multiple, and that was Dan Loeb's uh, thesis, that all you have to do is close the gap. You don't need a Netflix multiple. You just need to expand that multiple. So I think it's not going to kill Netflix. It will take profit, a profit share or market share, I should say, 
from Apple. I own the streaming service. I own Netflix and I own the Apple streaming service. That's what most people are going to do. This is a strategic story change. Mm -hmm. Wait a couple of days, but I still think you're okay to buy this around that 150 level longer term. So you guys are pretty much in full agreement in terms of what to do with the stock. Now, the question is, how does this news change the landscape of streaming? We just heard this week from a conference. Uh, we heard from uh, AT&T CEO about HBO Max. They added about 4 million new users in less than three months. Uh, Peacock, which is a streaming service, of uh, Comcast, which is a parent company of CNBC, said at the very same conference that it added uh, 26 million users since the end of October. A little bit different because that's an ad-supported model. But Disney announcing that it's going to spend up to 14 to 16 billion dollars eventually on content. BK, I mean, this is like an arms race. Is this going to force others really to is. up their content spend? And what does that do to how you look at whether those uh, stocks are the plays? So there's a couple ways to, tie, to kind of play this, right? Generally speaking, you don't, I don't like to invest in something that's going to have kind of this, this uh, com competitive war. But we're at the really early stage of this. I think Disney has the competitive advantage in that they can leverage it with their parks uh, and they can, they can leverage it throughout their entire ecosystem. That being said, there is a ton of money being thrown at content. So if you want to be a contrarian and you made a ton of money on Disney, good for you, buying it at 78 or 80 and you sell it here, I say you buy LA real estate because it seems like the people who are making the content are going to be making a ton of money. <laughs> That's certainly a, a sort of a third derivative play. Uh, James McDonald, how do you think this shakes things up? I think that the nature of these spikes in users and subscribers and revenue uh, they're fickle when something better, something new, something interesting comes out content-wise. It's so easy to go to your phone and hit cancel and go to your phone and hit subscribe. These are not sticky customers. These are not sticky revenues. This is a fickle space. This is a tech space. It's got so much upside potential for so many players. Yes, Disney's the content king. Yes, Disney's a great business. Uh, but this is not something that they can quickly defend uh, when someone else comes out and I just don't like the downside with this I think that the digital marketplace is just evolving uh, there's still artificial intelligence technologies coming out to push individual product preferences uh, to devices and there's just so many ways that this uh, market can go I don't like the subscriber uh, spike story and we saw that like I said with Netflix right you know COVID drove everybody to Netflix and then when the, when the stock went up, uh, as soon as that abates, the stock comes back down. And so for an investor, you know, it's just it's a risky bet here at this price at this level. I think there's just too much competition coming. What is so amazing, though, Steve, is that this stock has doubled since March. So this stock has benefited almost purely from this notion that it will be a streaming powerhouse and nothing practically from the notion that this is a reopening trade, which we have yet to see take effect in, on Disney. So with that said, I mean, don't you feel like maybe there is still another boost to come once the reopening trade sort of catches fire? Absolutely. In Disney parks, it's a $16.5 billion revenue generator. This is something where if you had the option on it never reopening, you're losing money right now. That's decaying. We're going, we're going to reopen. And the vaccine is gaining steam. So if the if the parks reopen, they don't have, they're going to wind up spending. Uh, Melissa, you mentioned the number 14 to 16 billion by 2024 on content. They're just trying to replace the 16.5 billion in revenue that they're receiving from the parks. The parks are going to do that for itself. 
I'm not going to go to a park anytime soon. But once the vaccine comes out, there are loyal people who are up and down those parks every year. And I think that number is going to come back on in large force. Remember, there's a lot of people that are dying to get out of the house, dying to do something in Disney and those parks. They're going to close that 16.5 revenue gap that they've had in the parks very quickly. By the way, we've got a full wrap-up of Wall Street's reaction to Disney's Investor Day on our website, so head on over to cnbc.com pro and check it out. Coming up, will retail get roasted this Christmas? We've got an exclusive new data on how the consumer is feeling this holiday season, how you can trade it straight ahead. And later, one semiconductor stock getting fried today after some big news out of Apple, the headline that knocked $13 billion off the market cap of this stock. The details from Fast Money Returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. The countdown is on. There are just 13 shopping days left until Christmas, but new data exclusive to CNBC shows this season might not be so jolly. According to our latest CNBC All-America Economic Survey, nearly 40% of Americans plan to spend less money on gifts this holiday season compared to last year. The biggest reason why? Lost wages or income. That's a good reason. So our retailer is going to wake up to a giant lump of coal and their stockings come Christmas morning. I don't know, James, the retailers have been acting like there's no problem on the horizon. Well, the failure to pass a stimulus certainly means less spending, right? So let's start there. And consumer expenditures have already shown us that. They've dropped 10.5% in Q2 when we saw these initial lockdowns and waves. And we forecast a similar drop as people face similar economic hardships as to when the virus first hit us. And these lockdowns, they mean holiday shopping is going to come almost 100% online and historical volume at these levels, it's unfeasible with the current delivery infrastructure. UPS and FedEx are raising their delivery charges to temper e-commerce growth. And this is going to make things even harder for the retail sales. Personal income's down uh, negative 6.5% since April. The savings rate is two times. And so the money that people have, they're holding on to it. They're not going to spend it this season like before. And like your survey showed, uh, that sounds like a familiar game show line. Like your survey showed, it's unlikely we're going to see retail holiday spending come up. Uh, Cyber Cyber Monday spells uh, up 15% this year. Uh, but they were projected to be much higher than that. And so I think that the survey is correct. Uh, Retail spending is going to be weak. I think you're thinking of Family Feud. Survey says, and then they reveal it. Um, Survey says. uh, Interesting because sentiment numbers this morning came in better than expected. So there's a surprise uptick uh, in sentiment. But James makes a good point, Grasso, in terms of shipping. uh, Already we know that direct-to-consumer has lower margin, typically, than if you go into store. And here the margin is going to get eroded a little bit more with the surcharges. Yeah, I, I mean, I, he makes a lot of great points, and I agree with him. And, and if you think about what uh, Lockdown 2.0 could look like, it could benefit those same uh, retailers, the Costcos, the Walmarts, the Targets, that really benefited the first and, and the Amazons. But, you, you know, you also remember those department store plays that were falling into an abyss and then rallied back pretty aggressively, the Macy's or the Kohl's stores. 
So I think you're going to see the same sort of thing happen. You'll see a lot of these retailers flatten out, roll over, but I think we're getting closer. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of bad news out there right now, and, and my, my heart goes out to all the people that are suffering, and this is a terrible environment. But we are getting closer to the end, knock on wood. So I think a lot of these names are due for a bounce. And yes, people are spending less, but let's hope that stimulus checks do go out in the mail and save a lot of these families from uh, a lot of a lot more of ongoing hardship. Absolutely. Let's hope uh, that Congress gets its act together. Number one, uh, Brian Kelly, in terms of retailers that will do well this holiday season because there will be shopping. People will buy stuff online to give to other people. So who will benefit? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I have to agree with the other two guys. I think you want to stay away from kind of your mall-based retailers. Uh, you want to stay, you want to get toward, go into, back into some of the more uh, direct-to-consumer and or the online. So you look at something like Amazon, which basically since August has gone sideways or traded in a range. You know, I would look for a catalyst on that and maybe a breakout of this range before I got into that. But I happen to, you know, I'm with the other guys. We have a low savings rate. We have um, a stimulus that seems to be stalled indefinitely, which I have no idea why it is. And then, you know, since James brought up his grandmother, I'll bring up one of the finest retail analysts I know, which is my nephew, <laughs> one of the best jeans dungaree salesmen in the planet, tells me sales are down. So based on my nephew's analysis, I agree with everybody else. Yeah, I mean, nobody's wearing dungarees if they're sitting in front of Zoom. I mean, how uncomfortable is that? All right, we have some breaking news here. Uh, crossing just now, we are learning who is getting booted from the S&P 500 to make room for Tesla. Let's get to Eric Chemi with the details. Eric. That's right, Melissa. S&P saying that Tesla will replace apartment investment and management company, that's ticker AIV, in the S&P 500 when Tesla is added to the index prior to trading on December 21st. Tesla will join the consumer discretionary sector. So Tesla's in is consumer discretionary, AIV getting kicked out. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Eric Chemi. So now we know, uh, keep in mind that this takes effect, the swap that is, uh, the start of business, December 21st. And we have seen a massive run in shares of Tesla. Steve Grasso, where do you stand on, on what this stock has done on news that it will be included? Yeah, this is something where this was sort of a, a no-brainer when you look at these things, when you look back and you wish you would have bought them on the lead-up into being added to an index because all the index players have to add it as well, and they've probably been adjusting all into it. They don't wait for the final day. But then you get the J.P. Morgan calls out on Tesla that it's grossly overvalued, and they put on sick, low price targets on this. So that keeps sort of every the, the buyers at bay. But this stock, what it has done, Melissa, over the years should keep the short sellers on its heel. Never bet against Elon Musk. Just when you think the stock is fading uh, beyond uh, belief, the stock comes back. Uh, I, I'm nowhere in the stock right now, but I would not bet against the, uh, the man, the myth, the Musk. James McDonald, there's certainly momentum behind this broader EV trade. It's not just the Robinhood traders who are interested. It's the ESG funds. Tremendous amounts of money in sustainability and ESG funds looking for a home. It's not just ESG. It is the future in so many ways. I loved Tesla two years ago, not because of the cars, because of the intellectual property. We are going to see the entire trucking industry transform with logistics from the autonomous vehicle 
intellectual property that Tesla owns. We are going to see the battery technology to get optimize travel distance for EVs uh, that is owned by the intellectual property of Tesla. And the early adoption of the passenger vehicles that Tesla has has given him this momentum, has given this credibility on the street. Uh, but there are so many pockets of value within that business uh, that they can own and control globally for all the auto manufacturers that want our grandchildren to breathe easier. Uh, this is a space, autonomous vehicles, self-driving vehicles in the trucking industry, and the artificial intelligence that makes that thing go. Uh, this is a good, solid S&P holding, and it's a good, solid investment long-term. All right, we have big news here. Coming out of Oracle this hour, the company just announcing it is moving its headquarters from Silicon Valley to Austin, Texas. Joining us now on the fast line is Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Governor Abbott, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Melissa. Uh, uh, honor to be with you. So now it's Oracle. Before it was uh, Tesla's Cybertruck factory, and Elon Musk himself personally is moving to Texas. What are you doing to attract these companies? A lot of tax breaks? Sure. So I, I would say that this is big news unto itself. But in, in context of everything else, uh, you talked about Elon Musk. You talked about Tesla. Remember, we just had the announcement about Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. Uh, we also just had the announcement last month about the Fortune 500 company, CBRE, moving its headquarters to Texas. Uh, and then uh, next month, we have the formal opening of the Charles Schwab headquarters moved to the Dallas area. And so this has turned into an absolute tidal wave. For some, uh, they are businesses that have had operations here, and they've enjoyed the operations here. Oracle has had a 37-acre campus in Austin, Texas, for several years now. I've been dealing with Safra Cats for more than a decade now. Uh, Safra and I have a good relationship. Uh, but, it, of course, moving in business headquarters is more than just that one relationship. They are looking for a state that gives them the independence, the autonomy, uh, and the freedom to chart their own course. And those are word choices used by people like Safra Cats, used by people like Elon Musk. Elon is elated to be here. Mm -hmm. He and I talk on a virtually a weekly basis, and he loves the freedom that he has in Texas, whether it be Tesla or SpaceX or the other enterprises that, it, that he is involved in. I'm sure he loves a lower tax rate as well as many other entrepreneurs do. Um, you know, Governor Abbott, it's funny because back in May, I spoke to Governor Gavin Newsom of California, and I asked him if he was worried about Elon Musk leaving California in any way, shape, or form. And he said that he was not worried at all. Um, should he be? Are you on the phone with other Silicon Valley companies courting their business? I've been on the phone on a weekly basis with CEOs across the country, and it's not just California. There, there are other states, uh, and I'm sure that you guys have seen that I've been in negotiations with the NASDAQ, uh, with companies that do business with the NASDAQ uh, in their trading operations. Uh, and so we're, we're working across the board because the times of COVID have exposed a lot. They've exposed the ability that you really don't have to be in Manhattan, for example, in order to, to be involved in the trading business or the investment business. Mm -hmm. uh, we're getting a lot of investment uh, leaders from the New York region, New Jersey region, as well as from the California region uh, that are moving to the state of Texas. And that's just the investment sector, the tech sector, et cetera. Yep. So cost of business means a lot. No income tax means a lot. Uh, but also the, the freedom to operate without the heavy hand of regulation means a lot. Governor Abbott, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you all. Take care. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas on this news that Oracle is moving its headquarters to Texas. All right. What a show. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Brian Kelly. I think you look in the ag sector, ADM. It's one I haven't talked about in a while. 
but I like that one to play ag inflation. James. B-I-T-W, Bitwise, the smartest way, the safest way to participate in a potential bull market in the crypto space run by the smartest indexer I've ever met, Matt Hogan. B-I-T-W is my final trade. Steve Grasso. I like to give you stocks that could double. I think this one could triple. Same trade as the other night. B-F-T. Have a nice weekend. All right, you too, guys. Thanks for watching Fast Stick Around. Options Action is up next. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/slash activecash.